My name is Christine. Welcome to my podcast, Unmuzzled at 67. So we're now on series three. This is episode five um, and it's called Therapy. It's great to have your company. Thank you for choosing this podcast to watch. I really, really appreciate it. So let's recap on last week. The last episode was about books, books that have uh, that have been part of my recovery, to be honest with you, um, books that have uh, helped me and also books that I read for pleasure um, without question um, in terms of books that have guided me and given me knowledge, inspiration, tips, practical tips in particular. Um, I have to mention one book, which is How to Be Your Own Therapist by Owen O'Kane. I did mention it last week, um, but just because I'm recapping, that was the book for me. Um, it was a great read. It was packed, packed. I'm always looking for practical tips in self-help books that I can use myself, use the next day, use use that evening. And that definitely was that kind of book and a great backstory as well. And you might have been surprised at some of the books that I read uh, uh, for, for pleasure. Yes, a big fan of uh, the French Foreign Legion and a big fan of the SAS. Let's leave that there. Let's uh, let's uh, start with today's topic, um, time for therapy. Uh, yes, I'm definitely going to talk about my experience with therapy. Um, but before I do that, I wanted to talk about uh, my daily routines or rituals that keep me sane, that keep me focused, um, keep me on track keep me calm to the degree where I'm now actually beginning to trust my own decision making and in particular intuition, um, which is something I don't think I had intuition before. If if it was, if I did, it definitely must have been kind of uh, pushed into the background because I don't remember it or, or I'd probably just ignored it maybe. So the best example of, of, of using... Uh, or, or experiencing uh, intuition these days is a very recent example. Um, and it's about doing this podcast. Even though the facts weighed heavily against it. Number one, I had no idea how a podcast worked. I had no experience, no technical ability or understanding whatsoever. I had no social media presence and in fact, I absolutely disliked social media. And the other thing was that nobody was really telling their life story uh, on a podcast. And I don't think even now it, it, podcasts are used for that. Podcasts are used really for chatting to people, interviewing people. Um, so I was wanting and asking for something that really wasn't within the world of podcasts, really wasn't something that was a well-known or, uh, or or wasn't a, something that was used for that kind of vehicle at all. And I didn't have that much money at all, but somehow I knew that was the only way that I should tell my story. I don't know why I felt so sure, but when I first met Cam, on our initial Zoom call, I just knew he was the right person and I could not have been more right about that. Um, pursuing a path when the odds are against you, um, are against it just because you know 
It Feels Right was a very, very new experience for me. Without question, it, um, it's paid off in many ways. I kind of defied the odds, if you like, uh, and went with my intuition. And I'm so glad that I did. And I'm so glad as well that, you know, um, as I say, that Cam took a chance on me as well, because, you know, telling a life story is, is not and was not a, a thing. So uh, so Glasgow Podcast Studios took their chance on me as well. And uh, and I'm, I'm so glad that they did. Um, I just want to quickly uh, sort of tell you a wee story uh, about what happened to me one day in the Apple shop. And the reason I want to mention this is to show you the difference between working with young people who are patient and kind and tolerant, if you like, of older people, um, which is certainly calm. And then there is the other the other side of that, which is uh, young people who are uh, very um, dismissive of older people who don't have their technical know-how and understanding. So a couple of years ago, I had to go into the Apple shop and I can't remember what it was for. It might have been a new phone or I can't honestly remember what it was for. And so I walk in and you're in a queue, there's about 10,000 people greeting you and checking you, you're all, you're all right. And I'm watching, you know, how they're interacting with the customers. And I'm saying to myself, they're lovely, these young people. Look how nice and they're all smiling. The girls and the boys, you know, they're just absolutely lovely. So I'm saying to myself, this might not be as bad as you thought, you know, Christine, because I'm expecting people to kind of raise their eyebrows and, you know, roll their eyes at me because I'm I'm so old by comparison to most of the customers waiting to be served. So when it comes to my turn, I sensed, rightly or wrongly, that maybe some people were running through to the back. People that should have been coming towards me but actually looking for a back, uh, a side entrance to get away. I thought, that that can't be right. And anyway, towards me came a guy. It was a wee bit older. When I say older, I mean for the Apple shop. It's maybe sort of a 40s. It was fucking grumpy. You know what I mean? Just one of the expressions like that. And I thought... How the fuck did I get him? Everybody else has got really nice, cheery, young people that want to help them. Can I help you? I thought, oh, in the name of Christ. So I said, right, listen, this is the problem. And I told him what it was. And he is not rolling his eyes, but he wants to. He's doing it inside. He's just can't be bothered with me. He's looking at the floor. He's not even looking at me. He said, well, I mean, this is a really simple thing. I mean, I can't understand why you don't get it. Oh, I said, listen, I'm going to stop you right there. How dare you use a tone like that with me? You're speaking to me as if I'm a piece of shit on your foot just because I'm old. So that'll have to stop. I don't want you to serve me. And I'm purposely raising my voice so that people can hear there's something going on here. I said, in fact, what's your name again? I can't remember what it was. I think something like David, something with it, with a D. I said, you get your manager out here. I refuse to be spoken to. I said, let me tell you something about me. I have worked for 30 years in a five-star hotel. I'm like a trained monkey when it comes to giving people service. And I will not be treated this way. I will not be dismissed by you. Who are you anyway? And of course, I was determined I wasn't going to swear because I knew I would lose, I'd lose any integrity that I had. I says, get your manager out here, son, and you disappear. I definitely don't want you to save me. 
oh, the manager took ages to come, but I thought, no, I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I'm no I'm going anywhere. I'm waiting. So I said, I, I told her what had happened. I said, see that that guy there? That's completely out of order. I said, you look at your cameras and you'll see how he was, his expressions of how he was dealing with me today. I refused to be spoken, blah, 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 blah. She says, listen, I'm really sorry about that. I said, I want him disciplined. And I want him to be put down for more training because I don't want any other older person to have to deal with that. What, what am I getting, you know, just kind of ostracised because I'm old and I don't understand something? I said, it's not good enough. And it's really not what I would have expected in the Apple shop. And I look around me and I see people that are the, on the opposite of that. Where the fuck did you get him from? I says, get him in the back working in the cupboards. He should be working with the fucking uh, Apple Max. No, with the people. He's no got that of a people's uh, kind of personality. That's the advice I want to give you. I said, my name is Christine. Look out for my review. What's your name again? Eh, eh, eh. I said, no, it's no eh, eh, eh. What is your name? Got a name and wrote the most horrific uh, review because I think it's important. I'm not going to be pushed aside because I'm old and I don't understand. I'm still vital. I'm still a human being and nobody is going to speak to me like that. So uh, I don't really know what happened to him, but I've never been back in the Apple shop uh, since. So the point I'm making is I kind of half expected... I wouldn't have been surprised if Cam had been that type of person because, because he was obviously young. But I was completely wrong. It was the absolute opposite. So I was very lucky to get one of the the, the great young people uh, to work with me. And I've been very, very, uh, very, very lucky. So um, leaving that behind, I did want to talk about some daily habits that I kind of researched, looked at, read about, you know, listening to people who, you know, successful people. What do they do? What kind of daily habits do they have? How would some of them maybe work for me? Because I've always believed that I'm the one who has to make myself better. So um, I have got today some daily rituals and I strive to do all of them every day. I don't manage it every day because sometimes uh, two days are not the same for me because I work from home, blah, blah, blah. So here's a couple of them. Daily meditation. Well, you knew that was going to be number one. Um, and the second thing is, is to get some daily exercise. And I try to go with uh, Joe Wicks. I, I quite like Joe Wicks from the lockdown days. Um, Joe Wicks for seniors, that's a wee 10 minute thing. And if you want to, you can do it a couple of times. And I just find that that will usually fit in with my, uh, with my, um, with my day. On top of that, I do get out every day. The fancy word for it is forest bathing, and it just really means getting out in the park, walking in nature. And as I've said before, I am so lucky that I have a small park at the very bottom of my road, so it's not even five minutes away, lots of trees and grass. And, and it's nice being in the park because human beings are walking at a different uh, pace and they're talking to each other. Hello, how are you doing? And then if they've got a dog, they'll let you pat it and things like that. Because I, I love dogs, but I don't have one. But I love to talk to people about their dogs. So it's a different social space. Uh, you're not going to get people doing that uh, on their way to work because they don't have time. But it's just a different physical pace and it's just a more social situation to be in. So as well as getting fresh air, there's also a wee bit of human contact. And if you're lucky, a wee bit of furry contact too with some of the beautiful dogs that I meet. Um, I also say everyday affirmations to myself, and I'm going to come back to that. Um, 
And for me, I need these disciplines. And the main discipline I need is to start the day quite early. So try to get up at the same time every day. Um, I find that I'm a morning person. So I, if I've got stuff to do, particularly sort of work stuff, um, I like to get it done when I feel sharp and I feel focused. And those for me, those times are definitely the beginning of the day. Um, and if I get my work stuff done, then I will start on this, the, the podcast um, Sometimes it's just jotting down ideas and things I'm thinking about, but try to do things when I know uh, that's that's when I'm at my sharpest point. And journaling. Now, journaling is something that really, for me, came into its own during lockdown. I, uh, you, you know, we, we all remember what that was like and not seeing people and la, la, la. And I found that... Uh, Journaling for me became very much a, a daily staple for me. Um, and, you know, at that times we didn't really see people uh, very much. And I found that uh, writing everything down that is in my head um, on a daily basis, and particularly in days if I'm stressed about something, and I'm, and I'm taking that very much in today as well, um, I just write and I write and I write. Now, they say you can type as well. So for younger people, you maybe want to type something on your phone or on a laptop. But they say the best way is physically writing. So I just write and I write and I write. And even if it doesn't really make sense, sometimes it's kind of like a jumble of words. I just keep writing and writing and writing. And what I'm hoping to find is a bit of space in my head. I'm hoping that as these words come out of my head and onto paper, they're leaving my head and creating a wee bit of space and taking away some of the worry and the chaos. So, as I say, I just keep writing and writing until everything is out and then I close it. I never go back and read it because for me it's just, it's just the process of getting everything out. So journaling for me uh, today is not a daily thing, but it is something that I do do weekly um, because there are because I, I live I live alone and I uh, work from home. There can be days when I don't speak to people at all, especially in the winter. So um, for me, it is a, it's a good way to empty my head and to keep this constant space in my head for new things and new ideas. Anyway, I don't want to bother the few friends that I've still got with all my stuff. So, um, so journaling is definitely is definitely something that's important for me. I find, if I'm honest, that meditation really does keep my mind, keep my head at peace. Um, so before I leave this topic, I just want to go back to affirmations. So what are they? Um, if you type in Google affirmations and, and maybe say, you know, uh, affirmations about success, affirmations about wealth, affirmations about good health, whatever it is, up will come all these fantastic uh, options that, uh, that Google will have for you. Um, and what it is, is it's usually one sentence or at the most two small sentences that are relevant to you, relevant to your goals, that you say to yourself out loud in the morning and at night. That's my practice. That's my practice anyway. And why? Because it keeps me focused um, and it keeps me uh, with a positive mindset. And because mine are focused kind of on my goals, I have a two-year goal, um, then 
that are relevant relevant to that. So what I have is I've, I have quite a big list of affirmations and I usually pick out three or four that I use for that particular day. So I thought I would give you an example of three. Um, and for me, uh, and Google says as well, that you're supposed to say them out loud to yourself in front of a mirror. That's what they say. That's what I try and do. So the first one of my affirmations is I have unshakable perseverance. Second one is, I am creating the life I desire. And the last one is, I am worthy of wealth and success. So you kind of say these things uh, until you your subconscious and conscious starts to actually believe them and they will happen. That's my belief anyway. But that's only three. Uh, as I say, I pick out the most relevant ones on the day. So these are all kind of small habits, if you like, small practices that I aim for every day. Uh, they are designed to improve on my emotional well-being. For if that is off or if it's out of kilter, the day will be out of kilter. Having my emotional health looked after daily is at the core of me. It has my highest priority and it will always be like that. I've worked long and hard on my research, reading relevant books to find the daily processes that will work for me. And over time, these have become habits. So it's now a little bit easier. I don't need to remind myself to do things. These are habits with me now. And so I just do them automatically. Daily habits of really wanting a better life. One day at a time, that's what they say at AA. And that's what uh, Lena Martell once sang, one day at a time. Um, that's the whole principle of AA. We don't just do one thing and then that's it. Forget about it. And we just continue in our lives every day. Every day we're working on ourselves and we arrest our illness and arrest our condition, whatever you want to call it, on a daily basis. A daily basis is 24 hours. And then we, you know, we just start it all again the next day. I, I like that philosophy. It keeps things very simple for me. So let's get on to therapy. I had felt for quite a long time that I had probably taken myself as far as I could probably go. I mean, I'm not a therapist, I'm just a wee woman. But I still had questions that I felt that maybe only a therapist could help with. So in 2020, 21, while I was in furlough, with a lot of time in my hands and less money, which for all of us in furlough will remember that, less money than usual, I started to look for a therapist. Therapists are extremely expensive, so it was quite a challenge to try and find somebody that I thought would be quite decent. So I found a female therapist online and her profile said that she'd worked with the troops uh, diagnosed diagnosed with ADHD. So I thought, well, I think, I think she's the woman for me. I think I want somebody who's got that kind of experience. So that really was the reason that I chose her. And we arranged a first appointment on Zoom. I was so ready for therapy. I told her most of my story um, and then said, tell me what else, what else do you want from me? What else do I have to do? I'll do it. Uh, I'd waited so long uh, to be in this position, to be face to face with a therapist that I was so anxious to get going. 
she was lovely. She was uh, gentle and she was quiet and she just let me talk and talk and talk, which of course was very easy and is very easy for me. <laughs> she is probably the only person that I really told everything to and it was quite a relief uh, to get it out. She never tried to interrupt as if she could. She just kept nodding. She kept nodding her head and she waited until I stopped. And she was one of these ones that would just sit and let, you know, let silence rule, you know, the big, big pause thing. But I wasn't having any of that because I thought, well, do you know what? I've paid for you. I'm not paying for a silence. I'm paid for every minute to be, uh, to, for, for information to come to me and for questions I've got to ask. So I did have a lot of questions for her. And I was able to see her every month. I, I mean, I just couldn't afford it uh, any more than that. And she did help me make sense of some of the quite fixed perceptions uh, that I had, especially like, you know, in, in series one where I talked about that overhead, converse, overheard conversation, which is kind of where, where everything started. Um, and I also wanted to ask her what she thought about my two attempted suicides at, at 16. And looking back, you know, you think, I think to myself, my God, Christine, you were prepared to end your life over something that was so trivial, you know, looking back, so trivial to end your life for. I mean, you know, there, there was a Ned, right? Just out of the barrel who had a full-time girlfriend me on the side, gave me VD. What the fuck? He bumped me. And that is why twice I tried to kill myself. That is so fucked up. And it shows you how fucked up I was at 16. And my God, the aftermath of that was awful and stayed with me for many years. I paid a hefty price for that. The therapist said, well, it was just another man that you had kind of expectations of or attached yourself to emotionally that rejected you. And so that was, you know, it wasn't just like the kind of Ned thing, you know, it was uh, it was the fact that it was, that it was now a second man. That's what she said anyway. When I when I told this story in series one about this guy, I said, this is how I felt at the time. Even an ex-con who was completely mental. Now, I've, you know, I've lived on this earth for 67 years and I have never met anybody as mental as this guy. But being me, that mentalness was an attraction. Yeah, I mean, I know it sounds mental, but that that is how how I looked at life and that's what I thought. But to think that somebody, an ex-con, just at the barrel, mental, and even he didn't want me. And that was, a, and then there was my dad. My dad was, through that overheard conversation, disappointed in me. And that led me to think, well, I must be unlovable. I must be unlovable. And so I just, looking back now, think I just behaved in a way where I was unlovable. I almost confirmed to myself, what's the point in trying to be loved or trying to, because it clearly doesn't work. This is what people think of you. 
So she helped me, the therapist, to make some sense of these two situations. But to be honest, as time was going on, I was doing more and more research myself into my thinking and my behaviour. And of course, I'd been meditating by that time for several years. The thing that I really, really struggled with uh, up until very recently was that I could not forgive myself for the kind of mother that I had been. And it was a heavy cross for me to bear every day. And the therapist tried to help me come to terms with that. And she said, you know, it's in the past now. You know, you're you're a different person now and you're a good mother now. But each time we talked about it, you know, it just brought all these emotions up and I just cried and cried. And I just was getting nowhere with it. The guilt was utterly overwhelming and it just never, ever let up. No matter what she said, I could not come to terms with my parenting. Today, uh, I'm a wee bit better, but if, if, I, if I was to say what is the long-lasting aspect of living a crazy life, uh, looking at the world in a different way, I would have to say. it's the, that If I had regrets, that, that is what they would be. Um, but there was one question that she asked me that was profound. She said to me, so what would you say, Christine, to that 12-year-old child if you were to speak to her now. I wasn't expecting that. It completely caught me by surprise. But suddenly I felt that I could see, I could physically see that 12-year-old sitting on a floor in the corner with my legs pulled up to my chin, my head resting on, on my legs. And that gaze was into the distance was a person who was what I'm going to start again that gaze looking into the distance was of a person or a child who had who was lost and they'd given up and they'd resigned themselves to being lost it was so clear and it was so so sad I just burst out crying it was so emotional so my 12-year-old me looked isolated physically and mentally. And of course, I, I could completely recognise these feelings. And finally, I said to her, it's okay. I see you. I get you. And I've got you. But my inner child was emotionless and broken. So I felt that even although I had said that, um, it made no difference. I felt that the that inner child was just so broken that it was definitely going to take a couple of attempts. So this inner child is is is, is a definite thing in 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 psychology, and I had read about it before, so I kind of knew a wee bit about a little bit about it. But again, I wasn't expecting her to ask me that question but it is an important question and to be honest I've asked that question to other people that I have met um, over the last several years when they have described perhaps problems that they've had in their life and issues from the past and they say that they have found just opening up that concept quite quite an interesting thing to do so I didn't get anywhere with my first entree if you like into 
attempting to speak to my inner child because this is this is definitely what what psychologists would tell you to do i just felt that she trusted no, no one so lots of tears lots of snotters abound and i felt so sorry for her it is a powerful process and since that time i have read uh, more books particularly about this and i see the importance of addressing this um it's, it is said that unless you address this, you really will never fully be well. I think the inner child process, if you like, is one that uh, makes sense to me. I know it doesn't make sense to some people, but it makes sense to me. And if you were to ask me, well, what are you working on now? Christine, what well, I would say it's this, but it's taking me a long, long time. I started to do it quite a, quite a while ago, and it has taken me a long time. And I have bought books that have guided me through in more detail uh, how to do this. And I have found that it makes sense. And so I'm very slowly applying that because I do believe that this is what the answer is to, if you like, emotional freedom. Um without going into all the details, because I know this is something that, is, that has no appeal for some people at all. But for me, um, I, I think it's important. And that's where I'm at with my, uh, my therapy, if you like, my own personal therapy. So, but when I came across this book, um, How to Be Your Own Therapist, I actually stopped therapy then because I felt that the contents of this book were as much maybe even more than the therapist was able to give. And the cost of the therapist wasn't maybe that much, but during furlough with 20% less wages and, you know, having to watch everything because the bills were still the same, the cost of living was still the same, then it was a big deal for me to be, be given extra money if I didn't really feel I was going anywhere with it. So, um I just fe felt this book was kind of taking the place of it. And there was another book that I bought called um, You're Lost in a Child. That's a book by written by Robert Jackman. And that, with the book I've just mentioned, are the two books that I read most constantly now. Uh, and they are the ones that I feel give me the guidance that I need. But I did reach out at a later stage to a counsellor that somebody... Uh, recommended highly to me. But unfortunately, after two visits to him, I thought, this is definitely not for me, you know. <laughs> I'm one of these people where I think, if I'm paying a therapist or paying a counsellor, I don't want to hear their story. So, you know, this guy was saying, you know, when I when I was such and such, I did this and this and this. And I said, do you realise you've, you've taken up 10 minutes of my hour talking about yourself? Not being rude, but I'm not really interested in your story. We're here to talk about me. And this is hard-earned money that I'm spending here. So thanks very much, but I'm not really interested in that. So I don't know whether he maybe uh, took the huff or not, but he was uh, a wee bit off after that. I'm paying the money, come on. So um, I just didn't go back. I just thought, you know, this is just no for me. Um, however, I mean, I, I do think that it would be interesting and good for me uh, to see probably more a psychiatrist, I think, maybe for me, 
I would love them to give me the guidance that maybe I sometimes still need. I'd love to know their insight and their a bit more detail and explanation about why things happened. And uh, I don't know, I think there are still some unanswered uh, questions for me. Um, but for example, none of these, the therapist or the counsellor, none of them suggested that, you know, I might have ADHD, which I do. None of them suggested that maybe my problems were emotional, emotional problems, which they were. And nobody said that. So um, I didn't know that at the time. But looking back and knowing what I know now, I think maybe they should have. There you go. But um, I don't stop. I still keep trying to investigate myself and, you know, uh, try to understand myself, uh, continue to work on myself. Um, and I definitely would like to see a psychiatrist. So why am I not seeing a psychiatrist? Because a psychiatrist is between 350 to 395 pounds an hour, if you can get one. I mean, I'm not even being funny. Sometimes if you look, it'll say no appointments can be taken completely full. So there's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of us that are quite mental going about, absolutely. But there's very few of us that can pay, you know, that kind of money. So, um... I, I kind of think to myself, you know, that the um, my story, uh, my life was kind of stolen from me. You know, I don't really think that the way I lived was the way I was meant to live, that that was really the plan for me. So in some ways, I have to kind of take a wee bit of that back. But until that day comes where I could actually afford to, to go and uh, speak to a psychiatrist at that kind of uh, price. I'll just keep doing what I'm doing the now, reading the books. And I like to watch podcasts too, you know, some brilliant podcasts on, you know, self-help, inspiring things, you know, things I've mentioned before and keeping with my daily rituals, which are very important for me to keep me calm and keep me sane. So I will always be active in helping myself. I always believe that I have a big part to play in getting better. So let me finish this week's episode on this happy note. <laughs> I'm being sarcastic, of course. Here's a thing I just remembered two days ago. I'm not even kidding. This is absolutely true. For 40 years, I had a voice in my head that basically said three things. Now, we've all got a voice in our head, haven't we? It goes on like that all the time. My voice just more or less said three things. Fuck it. Fuck them, her or him. And who cares? So <laughs> that is what my mind, that was my response to life in general. So perhaps it's no surprise <laughs> when you look at the things that happened to me and where life led me, if that's your, if that's your attitude. Um, there's, you know, looking back at those times, I had a fierce temper. Uh, it came down like a red mist and it came down very, very quickly in seconds over nothing sometimes, absolutely nothing, the slightest wee thing. I could turn anything into a drama and I would be shouting and thumping my desk uh, and I had a reputation for losing my temper at the drop of a hat. And at home, I was much the same. And or I could be icily, completely indifferent. Um, I was entitled, cold uh, for years. So, you know, 
look at this person, you know, look, look at, I mean, that was me. That's the way I live my life for most of it. So you can see how much I welcome the person that's sitting in front of you now that, you know, that has, that has, uh, that any work that I've done in myself, anything I've done to uh, improve myself um, has been more than worth it. It's taken a long time. Uh, maybe if I'd been able to see a psychiatrist, it might have happened a wee bit quicker, but that wasn't going to be the path for me. The path for me was to find out what worked for me and not to give up, to to grab onto any good bits of information. And also... Um, to find the right people in my life, you know, and I'm so glad that these days I'm just not like that at all. Um, and the only thing I have to guard against is letting the wrong people into my life because that really screws me up completely. But today I have a smaller group of people in my life and that really seems to suit me. People I can trust, people I can be myself with, and that's a great feeling and I'm very, very grateful for that. So that brings us to the end of this particular episode. As always, it's been lovely to have your company. Thank you for taking the time to join me. And I look forward to catching up with you next week.